Welcome to Stories of COVID, the interview project that explores what it's like to experience a global pandemic. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. It is scary and it's very real, but it's not hopeless. As I said, I changed three planes. None of them were wearing any gloves or masks. I've never seen so much support for freelancers or artists in the in the media um, as I have now. They both laid me off from just the advent of the, the outbreak. I'm anthropologist and author Veronica Kieran, and I am building an interview archive of stories and anecdotes that define this time in history to write a book preserving this experience for future generations. If you'd like to help preserve this moment in history for future generations, check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Norm was in Asia, on the ground, when the pandemic was beginning. In fact, he didn't hear about the virus from the news or from his travels or from any other source. He heard about it because his then-girlfriend, now fiancé, contracted COVID-19 and was one of the first patients in Bangkok to have the virus. She made it through after many tough nights, and it was then that they started to realize that people weren't talking about the virus and intentionally hiding it because they didn't want to sound alarm or maybe something else. Norm is a digital nomad. And so his life changed significantly due to the lockdown of both the locality he was in, as well as the borders of countries that he wanted to go to. I heard about it because my girlfriend got it. Yeah. So it's interesting because in our travels, most of our travels have been in Europe and neither one of us had ever been to Asia. On January 1st, 2020, we landed in Singapore and that was a gateway to Asia. We were there for three days and then we flew to Bangkok, which was magnificent at first, but after a couple of days of seeing obscured skies from smog and people, people everywhere, it was like, we need to get out of here because I don't handle big cities very well. And so we decided that we would go to some smaller cities, including the city of Chiang Mai, which is a very well-known expat community in Thailand. And so we made arrangements to go to Chiang Mai. And they also have an elephant sanctuary there. And that was on our wish list of things to do. So we got to Chiang Mai and we were there for a day. And the next day we were scheduled to go to the elephant sanctuary. So we got picked up at about dark 30 by a van with about a dozen people in it. And we were taken up to one of the shrines along the way. And then we also did about a two hour hike. And we were at a higher elevation because the hike actually took us, took us up to the tallest peak in Thailand, which was I think about seven or 8,000 feet. It was quite, quite high. My girlfriend uh, is prone to rapid heartbeat. So over the course of about a two hour hike, she did get winded between the fact that neither one of us had done much hiking and it was at a higher elevation. And so we made it that afternoon to the elephant sanctuary, which was unfortunately disappointing. Came back a few hours later in the same van with uh, quite a few people, including, I don't know if it makes a difference, several Asian people. And we don't know whether they were from China or not from China. We got back to the city, Chiang Mai, probably around seven o'clock that night. 
And we decided to go out and have a bite to eat, which she really wasn't all that hungry. And then a few hours later, she started feeling ill. She started having shortness of breath. She started having her heart palpitating, which she's prone to anyway. And so we were going to go and, uh, and get an early night's rest because ironically enough, we were due to fly to Vietnam at seven o'clock the following morning. So uh, I stayed awake while she tried to get to sleep at about nine or 10 o'clock. She was having labored breathing. And I said, do you want me to call the, the paramedics? And of course I was in Thailand, I don't speak Thai. I had no idea how I was going to do this because obviously it's a whole foreign situation. They don't have 911. They have the equivalent of. And she said, no, no, I'll be fine. And about midnight or so, she was still having problems. And I said, I'm going to call 911. So I figured out how to do that, had the paramedics come, took her to the hospital. It's about one o'clock in the morning. Noticed it was extraordinarily clean. They were there scrubbing the floors and people had masks on. The masks that we take for granted today um, were fairly common in Bangkok because of the high Asian population. And I always used to think it was because of their aversion to germs, but come to find out in Bangkok, it's also because of the air pollution. And so she was uh, there for about two hours. They did a whole battery of tests of everything. They gave her some fluids and sent her home after a couple of hours with about a half a dozen different medications. And so we got home maybe about three o'clock in the morning or so. She tried to get some rest. I tried to get some rest. We got up to go to the airport a couple hours later and she felt horrible. She felt horrible. We uh, took a taxi to the airport. I get in line for the airline to do all of her paperwork and she's basically sitting on the floor sweating. This was before anyone knew there was any such thing like COVID. We just thought she was not feeling well for whatever reason. Come to find out, we didn't have the right visa to get into Vietnam. So here we waited for all this time and we couldn't take our plane. And so now we're faced with a choice. Do we go back to our room, try to find that room or find another room, or do we carry on and go back to Bangkok? And so we decided to go back to Bangkok. We got back there, she's still feeling poorly. And for the next week and a half or so, she felt very bad. She had no appetite. Uh, Bangkok, of course, is known for street food. I would go out and pick up a pad thai, and she was like, this just doesn't taste that good. And I'm like, oh, it tastes fine to me. Uh, she couldn't really smell that well. She was extraordinarily exhausted, uh, had fever off and on. And after about a week and a half, she started feeling better. And that's when we started looking at the report from the hospital. Now, my girlfriend, now my fiance, uh, is a former nurse. So she's familiar with the forms that the hospital gives you when you exit. And it was very explicit. Patient denies shortness of breath. Patient denies loss of appetite. Patient denies loss of smell. And we're like, hmm, something's wrong with this picture here. Everything that you had going for you, they were basically saying did not exist. That's when COVID started to become more and more well-known. We went, aha, uh -huh. they're trying to carry this. They're trying to cover this. They are trying to become uh, under the radar because I think the Thai government did not want to acknowledge that there was such a thing as COVID going on. Come to find out about that same time, we saw that Chiang Mai was one of the first hot spots in Thailand. So where she got it, how she got it, we don't know. It could have been from someone in the bus. It could have been from someone that we passed on the hike. We really have no idea. 
And that's when we started paying attention to what was going on around the world. And of course, recognize that it started in Wuhan, China, which was you know, proximate to us. And she started feeling better and everything felt fine. And I never got it, by the way. I was never symptomatic or anything. And for the next two months, we were in, uh, in Southeast Asia and we had planned a couple of side trips to Cambodia and to Vietnam. So we ended up doing that, trying to fit between the flights that all got canceled. And after that, she was fine. She had no after effects of the disease whatsoever. So that was our first exposure to COVID. Well, because uh, neither one of us really pay much attention to the news, but it was pretty hard to get away from this growing pandemic. And we were in Thailand for two months, and then we had to come back to the United States in the first week of March of 2020 because her son was getting married. And so we were paying attention to whether or not that would be a challenge because flights were being canceled all throughout Asia. And we were very, very lucky. We actually only had one flight that, that was canceled on us, which we were able to replace it with another. So there was no loss of transportation, just the stress of wondering. And so we flew back into Los Angeles wondering, are they gonna be there in hazmat suits? Are they gonna be doing this? Because we're hearing all these reports of temperature checks and, and you never know what to believe with the media, of course. And as it was, we breathed, we breathed through Los Angeles airport. No one gave us a second look. No one did a temperature check. No one did anything. It was like, okay, that's fine. First week of March. Yeah, March 5, March 6 of 2020, very early on. Meanwhile, now we're paying attention to the news because we were around television sets that spoke English and we're reading about all this. And President Trump has, you know, got Fosse up there and and there's a lot of controversy over this about, uh, you know, who's behind it, what's behind it, is it bats, is it this, is it that. And of course, we just kind of chalked it up to, you know, media loves a, loves a shit show, so to speak. I mean, they love, they love controversy. So they, they, uh, they, they love something that causes people to look. And people were glued to their television, including some friends of ours that we stayed with. They had the news on all the time. It's like, I'm so tired of this. So we ended up flying to Ohio for her son's wedding, uh, which did not come off as planned. We were supposed to be in Ohio for three weeks. And um, at the time, we still think it's way overblown because here we are outside of Columbus, Ohio, and the grocery stores are panicky. Uh, no, no toilet paper, no, you know, this is all the things that we need, that we read about and we know about. Uh, the shortages of everything, people are having to wear masks and, and what have you. And uh, we were supposed to be in Ohio for three weeks. And that was the week we got there when President Trump, quote unquote, closed the Mexican borders. And we were supposed to go to Mexico for two weeks. And I had no idea what it actually meant when he said we're closing the Mexican border. So long story short, we advanced our trip to Mexico and we took off about three days later because I was afraid we weren't gonna be able to get in and we were gonna be stuck in the United States with nowhere to go. And so we made it into Mexico uh, realized from there, we still couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't travel south. We couldn't come back to the United States. So we resigned ourselves to staying in Mexico for about 15 months and went through the same thing that everyone else did with the masks on, the mask off, the temperature checks, the whole nine yards. And then of course the vaccines come out and um, you know, there's all this conjecture about who's behind us, what's behind it, what's real. Uh, I actually came up with a story that maybe this is Mother Nature's way of teaching us a lesson because we were staying off the streets, we were getting engaged with families and friends, and then we were actually getting more cohesive while we were also being pulled apart at the same time. 
animals were coming out of the out of the parks and, and taking over their Yellowstone National Parks and everything. So it's run the gamut over the last year and a half, almost two years now of wondering how much is real. Is it just a flu virus that's you know not as dangerous as what they say? Meanwhile, you read about deaths and you don't know whether those statistics are real or fabricated. Um, so I think like most people who are reading or watching this or listening to this, uh, they've probably gone through their own cycle of, of uh, wondering exactly where the truth lies or if there is such a thing as a truth. It's been greatly restrictive on our travels um, because we were not able to leave Mexico. We had aspirations to go into South America, into Belize. And even though I was never really driven to go into the Latin American countries, I thought, well, if they're so close, how can we not? But that was not an option. And, and during the course of time we were there, Colombia and Brazil and Argentina, some of the major countries in South America, they had horrible, horrible numbers. And so they were not even possible. Uh, I did have occasion to come back to the United States about mm, roughly every three to four months for some business events that I'm still participating in. And initially it was no big deal. Mexico was very easy to get into. It still is. They're one of the few countries that doesn't require anything. You don't have to take a COVID test before you go in. You just show up and you're there. Meanwhile, getting back to the United States started to become a little bit more onerous because now suddenly we have to start taking you know, COVID tests ourselves. Initially with the antigen tests and still with the antigen tests. But, you know, as travelers, we were looking forward to carrying on our travel. I'm 67, my fiance is 68, and we didn't have time to just sit on our hands idly. A lot of things over the year, we started writing. I actually wrote a couple of books, including I, I kind of flushed out that whole idea about Mother Nature and whether she's behind it. And had a lot of conversations with a lot of people about vaccines, whether they're valid, whether they're not. How do you get the FDA to approve such a... Of, uh, such a significant thing in such a record-breaking short period of time and everything. So um, there's no question about it. It has impacted my travels and our travels. And then finally, in June of this year of 2021, we were able to move on. She came back to Ohio uh, to be with her son and her new grandbaby. And I traveled by myself over the course of the summer into Ecuador. And then later on, we met in Peru. And now we are in, in Croatia and Europe. And we are planning our next move, which is actually going to be to Turkey in about another 10 days, but it's affected our travels tremendously because it limits where we go, what's involved. You know, just because you read the rules and regulations of what you have to do does not necessarily mean that they're honored or enforced. And so sometimes they make it so onerous that you have to do all these list of 10 things. Meanwhile, they only look at two of them. So it's uh, it's been a, a real uh, turmoil, certainly in our lives, but you know, we're healthy and we're happy and we're living in a place that we love. And so compared to some people who have lost lives and loved ones and jobs and all kinds of other things like that, uh, we have nothing to complain about. Well, I'll start with Mexico because that's kind of where we spent most of our time. And when we got there, we got there the third week of March of 2020. It was around the 21st of March. And we had all of about three or four days of total freedom. And then about a week later, they started clamping down on the town. And then they started clamping down even tighter to the point of where restaurants were closing. You needed a mask to get into the grocery store. Uh, temperature checks became pretty much a, uh, a given everywhere we go. 
And it was silly at first because obviously you can walk into a restaurant with your mask on and then as soon as you sit down, you can take your mask off and there was all kinds of, you know, does the, the virus only exist here but not 10 feet away? I don't know. And of course, it's a whole topic that you can get off, off kilter on. So in Mexico, uh, over the course of the year, I saw it growing and growing. And one of the Facebook posts I used to see early on was, does anyone know anyone who had COVID? And initially it was like, no, I don't know anyone. But then after a while, it's like, oh yeah, I know someone. And oh yeah, I have it. Uh, I'm very, very lucky because I don't know anyone who passed. I know a few people, including a gentleman who is, uh, I think about 52, who was a friend of mine in in Puerto Morales, Mexico, who is from Orange County, California, where I used to live. And he came back via Tijuana, Mexico, and he got it. He thinks in Tijuana, and he was actually in the hospital in a respirator for about a week and a half. And he's a pretty, a pretty uh, vibrant man, uh, seemingly healthy, not the kind of person who you would think would be prone to anything severe. And of course, over the next year and a half, uh, the, uh, the set, the masks come on, the mask comes off. It goes from one zone to the next zone, green, orange, yellow, red. When we left, things were still fairly under control. When I went to, uh, I went to different parts of Mexico before I actually left the country. And then to get into Ecuador, that required a PCR test. And I think at that time, that was about the fourth or fifth PCR test that I had to take because of the different travels in the United States. And I was in Ecuador for uh, 21 days or so. And it was masks, but not heavily enforced. When I was in a taxi or when I was in a restaurant, you, they wanted you to wear it when you went in, but it wasn't the kind of thing that anyone was freaked out about. And then it came the time for, for Kathleen and I to meet in Peru Peru had some of the most stringent guidelines that we faced because you had to have a PCR test within, I believe, 24 hours before departure, which leaves very, very little, very little room for error. You know, if there's a delay or something goes awry. And as it was, we met there at the airport and everyone was in, in, in masks. And before we could get on the plane, they actually required not just one mask, but two. So Peru was interestingly enough, the most, uh, the most strict in regards to, to what you needed to do, that you needed two masks, but again, they didn't check. And in order to take a bus, which we took several buses because we went to Machu Picchu and places that you can only get to by bus, they require a face shield. So to get on the bus, you had to have a face shield, but yet once you were on the face shield, some came off, some stayed on, uh, and then they were, uh, they were pretty, pretty strict. And I came back to the United States for a few days and I had to fly to Dubai, uh, United Arab Emirates. And over there, uh, it was masks, but not really masks. It seems like in most places, the rules and the regs say, yes, masks were required, but it really wasn't enforced. There's only been a few occasions where someone actually said, put your mask on. Left for Croatia on approximately October 1 of this year. And we had our masks on the entire time in the airplane and in the airport in Munich, Germany. And we arrived in split Croatia. And lo and behold, hardly a mask to be seen. And we went, hallelujah. Because even the law enforcement people there, even the airport security personnel, no mask. And we went, wow. 
And so over the course of the two months or so that we've been here, we've had to put a mask on a few different times. We took a bus ride and they say that you have to wear a mask, but yet probably a third of the people did not. And a few uh, grocery stores were insistent that you needed a mask. A few shoe stores of all things wanted a mask. But again, um, most were fairly lax about the whole thing. And the attitude of the people here in Croatia is like, it's my life. I'm going to take a risk if I want to take a risk, and I think it's all bullshit. And I think a lot of people all over the world have kind of realized that this is something that is part of their lives, part of our lives, and they are willing to face whatever risk they take. And if they get sick, they get sick, and um, they don't want to be told what to do. And it's really interesting because in the United States, it's become a huge, huge uh, division of uh, the, the masks and the no masks and the vax and the no vaxxers. And it's, it's really kind of a shame, but I actually have pulled myself away from it simply because I try to stay away from negative. I try to live in a positive, uh, abundant world, not in a negative, scarce world. And it's just a shame what's happened over the two years. And of course, um, everyone wonders when is it all going to be over? Most people acknowledge that the virus is here to stay in some form or another masks will be here as long as they're here. I think that it's permanently changed the way hygiene will be in airplanes and airports and certain places, but eventually the mask will, will probably go away. At least I, I pray that. When things started shutting down in Mexico, like everyone else, I got bored. And after I activated my online library card so I could start reading, which I've been doing consistently now for all that time, and watching all the Netflix movies and all the Amazon Prime movies, I got bored because there wasn't anything to do. I couldn't go to the gym and I've been a gym rat for you know 50 years and I couldn't work out and I felt like I was getting out of shape and I went into not a depression, but kind of a depressive mood. And um, so I started writing. I was inspired to pursue the whole mother nature is behind this line. And so I ended up writing a book called Mother Nature Grows Up. And it's about young mother nature when she was a teenager, a petulant child who wanted to become an adult and how her mother and father kept saying, it's not time, it's not time, your time will come. And it was all generated by the fact that maybe this is nature's way of teaching us a lesson. And so over the course of the year plus that I was there out of sheer boredom, my fiction mind, which I'd never really tapped into came to fruition. So I wrote another book. I woke up one day and I had a dream about the Wizard of Oz and his baseball team. And I wrote a book called the Wizard, the World Series of Oz, which is just a total fantasy kids book about, uh, it has all the characters from the Wizard of Oz in it. And so the positive for me is that I took that boredom that I had and I tapped into writing because I had nothing else to do. I couldn't go to the gym, we couldn't travel. Um, other than going to the beach, you know, a couple of times a week, it gets tiring after a while. So the outcome was, is that I've, I've uh, become a consistent writer. I'm a focused writer. I re-engaged with a couple of different writing sources before. As we were getting ready to, to leave Mexico, I said, you know, there's got to be other people with positive stories. I want to find them. So I put a pitch out there through different sources that I had. And I basically said, do you have a positive outcome from COVID? Uh, I got positive feedback from that, and I found other people all throughout the world. I've got a couple from India, a couple from Africa, quite a few from the UK and from the United States. Because of COVID, they were able to create opportunities or have enough uh, courage to pursue opportunities that they wouldn't have otherwise. 
a lot of people re-engaged with family and there's a lot of love stories that came out of it. So I ended up publishing COVID stories. Um, basically, it's positive, out, positive lessons that started very, very badly. And uh, so that's on the market right now. And I'm collecting episode two or series two, if you will. And so, uh, you know, like I said, there's a lot of people who lost a lot, including lives and lives of spouses and loved ones and kids and what have you and parents. But I think that there's positive things that came out of it as well because it forced us to do maybe what we wouldn't have done otherwise. I think the most obvious one is the one that we're utilizing right now, which is online conferencing. Uh, I've been using Zoom for well, half a dozen years because when I had my radio show and my podcast, this is the, the, the medium that I use to interview people because I could record it. So I think it's wonderful from that standpoint because people who weren't physically able to get together and connect could at least do it remotely. You know, parents with kids and grandparents and what have you, people in business. So from the, from the standpoint of technology, it, that's a positive outcome because it brings people together even though we're forced to be apart. I know people, uh, including one of, the, one of the contributors to my book, and they are in uh, England, and her parents live in South Africa. And unfortunately, the grandparents have never been able to meet their grandchild, who's now a year and a half old. But through video conferencing, they can at least be part of uh, his life, and that's wonderful. Um, as far as technology, now, of course, you have touchless this and touchless that. You know, everywhere you go, you don't want to touch hands. You don't want to do anything like that. There's only a few airports I've been in that have eye recognition for, you know, avoiding having to actually scan anything. But, you know, it, it's kind of a shame because the world is already impersonal enough as it is. And I think that as a species and... It's really a shame because it's isolating us even more than we were before. And as an American, uh, we, we kind of are becoming more and more isolated. I think that tribal mentality that exists in Latin America and certainly here in Europe with the family as a cohesive unit, I think that's diminishing over the decades since I've been alive in the United States. So, you know, if, if Zoom and, and, and uh, Google Meet and various things like that and Facebook uh, Facebook, of course, you know, there's technology that has had a positive as well as a negative because all you got to do is say something that's even remotely conversational and people jump down your throat. And so people have used technology as a way to vent, I think, out of frustration and stress. And, and that is unfortunate because I think people sometimes are just looking for a fight and it makes you say, whoa, time out, dude. I just asked what time it is. I didn't ask you whether you're vaccinated. Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well.